turn in your Bibles this morning. We'll be back in the book of John. And we'll be in John chapter 8. I've got to tell you kind of up front, this is um, a very direct message from Jesus to some religious leaders. And we're moving into the Christmas season, and I was kind of like, oh boy, this is a really hard-hitting word. But I want you to know, in, in the next four weeks, or the next four messages you're going to hear, are all going to be Christmas messages. This one is more of a warning. And this is a warning from Jesus himself to those who get caught up in religion. And you, you need to understand that Christmas is this evidence of God's abundant grace to us, his gift to us. And we know that Jesus says that the thief, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but he says that I've come to give life and life abundantly. That's the message of Christmas. And Jesus has already established there right now in John chapter 8, three different evidences of who he is related to the wilderness wanderings. If you remember in chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the bread of life, relating back to the manna that was given in the desert. He says, come to me if you're thirsty, and I will give you drink, relating back to the water that was given to the Israelites when they were thirsty, he being giving us and taking care of our spiritual thirst. And then last week we saw in John chapter 8, where he says that he is the light of the world. And that's a reference to God being the fire by night and the cloud by day. God cared for his people. He led his people. He protected his people. And Jesus is our protector, our leader, the one that we follow. But now he's been talking about all three of those things relating to eternal life. But now he's going to kind of do a shift here. And he's going to speak about judgment and eternal death. And this is a warning this is Jesus speaking very directly to these religious leaders who in their heart, they want him dead. But I think in the heart of God, he's giving them one more opportunity for life, eternal life. He tells them they're going to die in their sins. And what we can learn from this is that he's going to show four reasons that people die in their sins. Let's take a look at the first two verses, verses 21 and 22 of John chapter 8. Then he said again to them, I go away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. And where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I am going, we cannot come. So why do people die in their sins? The first thing that we see this morning is people are deceived. People are deceived. Now, all those, these Jewish leaders, they were religious. They were trusting in lies rather than truth. Jesus says, I go away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. And where I'm going, you cannot come. Now, by Jesus saying that he's going away, what he's saying is he's looking forward to the cross. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again. I'm going to ascend to heaven. And where I'm going, you cannot come. He's saying, I'm going there and you're not going to be joining me there. And you need to understand that these were the leaders, they were the experts in the law. These were the scribes and the Pharisees. They had been looking for the promised one. Israelite had not had a prophet for over 400 years. And now suddenly the promised one is with them. And he says to them, you will seek me, but you will die in your sins. The problem is they had already rejected him. In their hearts, they did not want the one who came. 
And Jesus' life was a whole testimony that he was from God. Now, if you'll remember, there were four things that were testimonies that happened. First, remember that John the Baptist, he testified about who Jesus was. And John the Apostle wrote in John 5.33, you have sent John and he has testified to the truth. And what John the Baptist said is, he says, this is the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. The first testimony was John the Baptist. And then the miracles testified about the Messiah. The Messiah. Jesus said in John 5.36, he says, the very works that I do testify that the Father has sent me. So now you have two testimonies. A third testimony is the Father himself testified about the Son. Jesus said in John 5, 37, and the Father who sent me has testified of me. If you remember twice last week, I talked about those audible testimonies that the Father did. He said, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the, the last one is the Old Testament scriptures. They testified about Jesus, the coming Messiah. Jesus said himself in John 5, 30 and 39, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is these that testify about me. Four strong testimonies of who Jesus was. And these leaders knew that, but yet they denied it. They believed the lie. They wouldn't believe the truth. And because they believed the lie, they will die in their sins. Understand that they were very religious, but what they believed and taught were man-made traditions and not the Word of God. Jesus had a very strong rebuke for them in Matthew. Matthew 15, 7, he says, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy about you, this people, they honor me with their lips, but in their heart, they're far from me, but in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. So the statement here, you're going to die in your sins, the first thing that I saw is that it reveals that there is not another opportunity after you die, no other opportunity to get to heaven. God has provided one life, one opportunity. And it's interesting, was a couple of weeks ago, I was speaking to a Buddhist street witnessing with our evangelism team, and it was up by the, the library, and he said an interesting statement. He says, well, I think what's going to happen is I'm going to come back again and again until I get karma right, basically reincarnation. And I've talked to many people on the street that say, well, you know, I believe that I'm going to go to a place called purgatory a holding place that at that point I'll get to work off whatever sins I, I didn't get to work off here in heaven. Both of those and many other examples, though, they, they reveal that, that it makes the cross null and void because the Bible says very clearly that it's once for all. Peter said in 1 Peter 3.18 that Christ died also for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Jesus did a finished work once for all. On the cross, he died for all sin so that those who would believe could be saved. And the Bible teaches that there's one opportunity, one life, and then judgment. It's either judgment to eternal life or judgment to eternal hell. Either way, but this is the life that he's given us. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, we're confident yet well pleased to be absent from the body, present with the Lord. For those of us that believe, eternal life, present with Him. Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. And I began to wonder, I wonder what the, 
the most difficult part of hell will be for some. And I think for some, the most difficult part of hell will be regret. These men have deep regret, trust me, right now in hell. They had the living Lord, the Messiah of all, right in their presence. And they denied Him. And they denied Him because they accepted a lie. They would not believe in the truth. Jesus had just given three clear examples relating back to the wilderness wanderings, the people of Israel, that he was the one that offers eternal life, and they would not believe. As a matter of fact, not only did they believe lie, they told lies. Now, Peter in 2 Timothy 3.13 says, evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, and that's what these men do. They were being deceived, but they also deceive. If you remember, they brought the woman caught in adultery, trying to deceive the people so that they could catch Jesus Christ. They used lies to try to trap Jesus. And as a matter of fact, in six months, these men are going to get people to give false testimonies to try to have Christ sent to the cross. Not only do they believe lies, they're liars themselves. They're caught in the trap of deception. And what scares me is I think there are many people today that are in the same place, even in the church. There are people who, if you will, they check off all the religious boxes. They come to church regularly. They read their Bibles. They even tithe. And maybe they even serve in some ministry. But they look at that as a means to buy their way into heaven. They do not understand the grace of God. They don't understand the cross where Christ died for them. They live in religion. And they're stuck. And they've bought the lie, and they'll die in their sins. And these religious men right here, they, they remind me of the parable of the, the prodigal son, which really is the, the parable of the prodigal sons. You understand that story is really about two brothers, two sons. And you have one who's irreligious, he doesn't believe, and he, he runs away, and you have another one who's religious, and both of them are lost. And you know the story, you have the one son, he wants his inheritance early, and the father, by his grace, gives his inheritance to his son. And it says that his son goes and he squanders what his father has given him. And I think in one version it says, with riotous living. He's partying, he's spending the money, and all of a sudden he finds himself a good Jewish boy in a pigsty. And you know the story, it says that he comes to his senses. And he remembers the kindness of his father. And he turned, which is an evidence of repentance. And in contrition and in repentance, he comes back to the father. And he's not hoping to be brought back as a son. He's hoping that the father will just bring him back as a slave in the household. But we know the story of the father. He sees him a long way off. And literally, he sprints to his son. He embraces him. And he welcomes him back. The one that was lost now has been found, brought back into the home. That's a picture of, of the irreligious person, the one, person who wants nothing to do with God. And, and suddenly, Jesus Christ comes to them, and, and, and they're met face to face with the grace of God in Christ. And it's, it's a picture of God's grace. But then you have his brother, his older brother, the older son. Now, some would say, well, that, that son, obviously, you know, he's going to be in heaven, right? Well, no, because he never really was in the house. He was always in the field away from the father. Now, he was doing the work. But he always thought that that work earned his father's affection. He always thought that that work somehow earned his inheritance. 
And if you remember, he, he comes back and there's a party going on for the younger brother and he judges the father's grace and he judges the younger brother. That second son, he's a picture of these men. He'll die in a sin. He's religious, but he does not have the father. And this is the warning. This is the warning particularly, I think, for the church. Don't be religious. Know the living son. It's about knowing him, about being surrendered to him. What we do for God is birth because we love him. The motivation of our heart is that he has done so much for us, and now we give back. But religion is the opposite of that. You do things to earn his favor, so he's obligated to give you heaven. And that's where these men are. Now, these religious leaders were deceived, and they're going to die in their sin. And, and Jesus will proclaim to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And so in their deception, they respond to Jesus' statement where he says, where am I? I'm going, you cannot come. And so the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since where I'm going, he cannot come. Their response in verse 22 is it reveals with clarity that they're so lost. And the reason it shows that they're so lost, because Jewish tradition taught that when somebody commit, committed suicide, they automatically went to hell. First century Jewish historian Josephus said that, the souls of those whose hands acted madly against themselves are received by the darkest places in Hades. And these leaders, they understand that Jesus is talking and that he's going to die. He's talking about his death. But where they're deceived is they think, well, he must be talking about hell because obviously we're going to heaven. They think they're in. And that's where the deception lies. One commentator put it like this. He said, the Jewish belief was that those who killed themselves went to the lowest part of Hades. Jesus had just said, where I go, you cannot come. And they had correctly understood that he was speaking of his death. But they responded and reasoned that since he would surely, that they would surely be going to heaven, that he must be going to hell and to the lowest part of that. They deceived themselves. They thought they were heaven ready, but instead they were ready for judgment. They were overly confident. They thought they had all the boxes checked off. But they deceived themselves. And not only did they deceive themselves, but they were deceived about who Jesus was. If they knew who Jesus was, they would understand that he would never commit suicide. Because he cannot sin, he's God. And he would never sin. But Jesus will give his life. But he gives it gladly for the lives of others, doesn't he? John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no man than this, that you lay down your life for your friends. John 10, 17, Jesus says, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I can take it up again. Jesus willingly gives his life, but he gives us so that we can have life, eternal life. And the deception comes with Satan. Satan loves to lie, and he loves to cause deception, which causes doubt, which causes discouragement. And the deception is this, if you do a lot of good things for God or avoid the bad things, you're okay with God, but you'll never be able to do enough and you'll never avoid enough because God in his holiness cannot accept a sinner without an atonement. And that's why Jesus came.
to pay for our sins. As a matter of fact, Jesus put it like this. He said, I am the door in John 10, 9. And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and find pasture. Now the thief, he comes to kill, still and destroy. But I've come to give life and life more abundantly. The evidence of our faith is a life that honors God. To work to earn heaven is religion. To serve God with all we are is true and saving faith. Now, deception, lies, are common in our day, but sometimes it's not even so much what we believe that we hear. Sometimes we can deceive ourselves, can't we? And I read this article by Lee Strobel. I love the way he writes, and I just want to share it with you because really, it really resonated with me. He says, imagine that a daughter and her boyfriend are going out on a date for a Coke on a school night. And the father says to her, you must be home before 11. By the way, as a father, I would never allow my kid out late by 11. I'd be saying, you've got to be in by 9. But anyway, this father says, you have to be in by 11. And so by 1045, the two of them are still having a great time, and, and they don't want the evening to end. And so they start to have difficulty interpreting the father's instruction. They said, what did he really mean when he said, you must be home before 11? I mean, did he really mean us, or was he talking about, you know, people in general? You know, did he literally mean that, or was he talking about you in the general sense, you know? Was he saying, in effect, as a general rule, people must be home before 11? Or was he making the observation that generally people are home before 11? I don't know what he meant. And what did he mean? I mean, would a loving father be so adamant and inflexible? I mean, he probably means that 11, it's a suggestion. Now, I know he loves me, and because he loves me, that means he wants me to be happy. He wants me to have a good time, and, and I am having a good time, so obviously, he doesn't want me home by 11. <laughs> and what does he mean that we should be home by 11? Now, he doesn't specify which home. Now, it could be anybody's <laughs> home. Maybe he means it figuratively. You know, remember the old saying, home is where your heart is, and my heart is here right now. So maybe he means we just need to stay here. Now, what did he, re he really mean? I mean, you must be home by 11. He didn't specify whether it was 11 p.m. or 11 a.m. Now, you know, in Hawaii right now, it's actually a quarter to seven. And as a matter of fact, when I think about it, all over the world is before 11. So obviously, with all these ambiguities, he can't really be sure what he meant at all. And if he can't make himself more clear, then certainly we can't be responsible. It's so easy to lie, isn't it? Now, all of you are laughing because we know we've done something like that at some time with something that we know is God's truth. That's what these men had done. They believed the lie, and the truth was standing in front of them, and they were deceived, and they would die in their sin. That's the first thing. Why people die in their sin, people are deceived. Second thing, people love this world system People love this world system. Now, the natural man, he loves himself and he loves the things of the world. But when Christ comes in, he, he captures our heart and suddenly this world, it loses its attractiveness and suddenly Christ becomes first. Look at verse 23, and he was saying to them, you are from below and I am from above. You are of this world and I am not of this world. So he starts off with, you are from below and I am from above. Now, you need to understand as we're kind of looking, walking through John, Jesus has already told them 
that they did not know the Father. He told them in John 8, 19, you know neither me nor my Father, because if you knew me, you'd know the Father. And he's telling them, you're from below. He's saying, you're of this earth. He's saying, but I'm from above. I'm of heaven. And so he's doing a contrast here. And, and he's pointing out that their origin and their destiny was altogether different than his was. He says, you are of this world, I'm not of this world. Now, now what does he mean But when he says, you are of this world? Now, understand John, John the Apostle, he uses the, the word world quite a bit, and it's the Greek word cosmos, and it can have different meanings. Sometimes it refers to people, and often it refers to, to different ideologies. In this particular one here, I think what it means when he's talking about this world, he's talking about the invisible spiritual system that dominates this world. That's the system that's controlled by the devil, and it's an evil system, and it's opposed to God, and it's opposed to Christ. Now, as believers, we know that we're not of this world. As a matter of fact, Jesus says in Luke 10, he says, rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Also, Philippians 3.20 says, for our citizenship is in heaven. And so, as a true believer, our affections should be on the things of God. It should be our first things. Now, I always know that there's a fight here because of our flesh and all that kind of thing, but the, the, the evidence of our faith is often that our heart is given over to Him versus the things of this world. But the unsaved, they belong to this world. And they're overly concerned about the things here. And the Bible teaches that Satan is the ruler of this world in this present age, that he's the prince of the world. And he has orchestrated a system that is so against God, so full of lies and deceptions. And it's an invisible system of evil. It's organized and controlled by Satan. And Satan's system is always opposing Christ. As a matter of fact, Jesus, when he speaks about those without Christ, he calls them sons of this age. And Paul, he speaks about this system and and this kind of thing, it's kind of an unseen world in, in Ephesians 6. Let me read you what Paul said in Ephesians 6, 11, and 12. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. There are forces of wickedness in heavenly places there are unseen realms that are trying to, to stop the work of Christ, stop the work of God, and has control over the hearts of men that don't know our Lord. There are those that do not know God, that do not love Christ. There are those that look religious like these men, but yet they're actually trapped in the world system. And so Jesus says, you're of this world. And then he says, but I'm, I'm not of this world. These two competing systems of thought. And see, these Jewish leaders, they, they thought they had it nailed down. They thought they, they had all the boxes checked. They thought that they were the ones that were truly right with God. But they actually loved the things of the world. They loved the power and the things that the world could provide. Now, John is very clear when he talks about the world in, in his epistle. In 1 John, he says this in 1 John chapter 2. He says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, it is not from the Father, but it's from the world. 
And so for a person to die in their sin, all they've got to do is have all their focus and their affections on the things here and not on Christ. Sometimes I think there are those, even in the church, they're here for a while. And the things of Jesus begin to excite them. They have never heard that. It seems fresh and something new. But as we know, as the parable of the soil speaks, sometimes there are those that, that when the cares of this world come, it captures their heart and they drift away. Mark 4.18 says, Others are the ones whom the seed was sown among the thorns. And there are those who have heard the word, but the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. There are those that may attend church for a while, but it becomes unfruitful because really their heart is given over still to this world. But true Christians, they, we have a desire for the things of God, the things for Christ. And, and although there's always this competing, if you will, a fight in our flesh and the spirit, we want to lean more towards the spirit. Sometimes we lose, but our heart is his and we know it, even though sometimes the temptation for the things of the world is still present. And it reminds me of the hymn that, that Brooke sang right there, Turn Your Eyes to Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Jesus has been crystal clear with these leaders from the beginning. He's the one, but they love this world system more. And so they'll die in their sins. You know, a few years ago, I was working out boxing when my shoulder was good. And uh, there was a guy there, and his name was John. And almost every workout after the workout, John and I would talk about religion. And John was born a Jew, but he really wasn't a practicing Jew. And it almost was like a debate every time. And, and John was honest with me. He just said, look, he said, I, I like life. And he goes, I, I like, he said, I like pleasure. He goes, if there's drugs, he goes, I'll do drugs. Drink, I'll drink anything. Basically given over to pleasure. He says, but I believe that I'm a good person. And I believe because of that, when I get to heaven, there's going to be a way out, a scale. And that God somehow is going to weigh out my life. And I think he's going to actually say I've done more good than bad and that kind of thing. And whenever I would start to share with him, I said, I don't, it doesn't quite work like that. You know, and, I, and it, whenever I'd mention the name of Jesus, he'd get really upset. And so this went on for a couple months, but I remember there was this one time after a workout, he seemed really different. In fact, he seemed kind of almost like broken. And he actually came to me and he said, Rob, would you pray for me? And I said, yeah, sure. And he said, I'm having a lot of financial problems. There, there's issues and, and, and I'm not sure what to do about it. And so what I basically did, I kind of flipped it. And I said, you know, I said, God provides for all of our needs, but you have a more important need. I said, would you let me share with you what that is? And he said, yes. And so I actually had the chance and the opportunity with John to share the gospel message of how Jesus came. I said, hey, by the way, Jesus was Jewish, and, and he lived the life that we can't live, and, and he died for you, John. And, and what was really neat is John was really seemed open, and he listened to the whole gospel presentation, and I just thought, wow. And so I just went for it, and I said, do you understand? He said, yes. And I said, well, John, I said, would you like to receive Jesus Christ? And this was his response. He said, no, he goes, I still want to live some more. Now, in my thinking, he's thinking, when you receive Christ, your whole life just dies, right? It's like it's over. 
But he said something, he goes, you know, he said, but I'm interested. He said, I've never heard that. He said, can I come to your church? And I was like, yeah. And so invited him to church that Sunday. And so that Sunday, I'm looking all over for him. I think Pastor Neil was preaching that Sunday, so I had a lot of time. I was walking the halls trying to find John. He never showed, and I thought, oh, didn't show. Well, the day that I talked to him was a Wednesday. John had gone home, and that night he died. He had a heart attack, massive heart attack. Now, I don't know if somebody else talked to John, but I can tell you this. He rejected the truth. He died in his sin. Why? Because he loved the things of this world more than he loved Christ. It's so sad. Two things we've seen this morning. Why people die in their sin. People are deceived, and they love this world system. There's a third thing here. People refuse to believe the truth. People refuse to believe the truth. Now, the devil, his plan is always to persuade people that truth is relative. But the Bible speaks very plainly. There is truth, and it calls us to respond to it in faith. Look at verses 24 through 26. It says, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they were saying to him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, What have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak to you, to judge concerning you, but he who has sent me is true. The things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. He says, therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sin. Now, the only way to escape judgment is to put your full trust in Jesus Christ. Now, understand, if, as we're looking at the book of John, John wrote in John 1, 11 and 12, he says, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. These men, they have no desire for him. And because of their unwillingness to believe, they will die in their sin. And we need to understand John the Apostle, the reason he wrote this book, I mean, the whole purpose of the book, the purpose statement is so that people would believe. John chapter 20, verse 31, this is what John the Apostle said. He says, these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. So I want to tell you this morning, this is your opportunity this morning. It's another opportunity to believe. This is written, this is being preached so that you can believe. And in a congregation like that, we have irreligious people. You were like me when I was 30. I didn't want God. I wanted me. I wanted the pleasure. I wanted the stuff for, that I wanted. And then I came face to face with Jesus. But there are some of you maybe here where you're like the religious. You're not irreligious. You're religious. You're here. You serve. You give. You do all these things. But it's to earn God's favor, not because he paid for it for you. Some of you are like the older brother, and some are like the younger brother. And we have to ask, what do we believe? Look at verse 24. It says, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And what he's saying here is the same thing we've seen earlier. He uses that statement in the Greek, I go a me. This is the statement where he's claiming to be God here. This is the great tetragrammaton from the Hebrew, which means I am that I am. Now, what's interesting in this text, if you look at the Greek, 
where it says, for unless you believe that I am he, that word he is not in the Greek. It should read, unless you believe that I am. Do you see it? Now he's speaking to the Jewish leaders, to the scribes and the Pharisees. They understand. He's saying, unless you believe that I am God. He's making a, a statement of divinity right here. And the way a person comes to faith is they must believe in who Jesus is. You can't add to it or take away. We first must believe that he is God. He is not a created being. He is the creator. He's the second member of the triune Godhead. He's co-equal with the Father and the Spirit. He is also fully man. He put on flesh. He became human. He entered into human history and space and time. You must believe in the incarnation, and with that comes the virgin birth and his sinless life. Not only that, you must believe in the cross, that he made full atonement for sin. Because he lived a sinless life, he paid for your and my sin. He died on the cross and made full payment as a substitute for you and me. And he went to the tomb for three days. And you must believe in the resurrection and the ascension. His death satisfied God's anger and his judgment. God placed his wrath on his son. And those who believe will be forgiven, will be saved. Now, I understand for a brand new person who's seeking, this may be hard to understand all these things. Sometimes it's just as simple as just saying, Jesus died for you. But as you come into Christ and as you come into the faith, these things are non-negotiable. You cannot add to them. You cannot take away from them. Two weeks ago, I'm driving home and parked, pulling my driveway, and right standing at my door are two Jehovah's Witnesses. And I'm kind of like, oh. And so I get out of the car, and one guy particularly really was hammering me. And this is what he was trying to do. He wanted to prove that Jesus was the first created being. And he told me that before Jesus' earthly life, that he was a spirit creature, that he was Michael the archangel, and that who, create, who was created by God, and he became the Messiah at his baptism. He has the wrong Jesus. He will die in his sin. And guys, we went back and forth and bantered and all these scriptures and all this stuff, but bottom line, he walked away unbelieving. He had a different Jesus. He would not believe. And even with all that Jesus said and done in those three years, everything that he had showed them, all the witnesses, all the miracles, look at the question they asked him. They say, hey, who are you? What is that? I think it's mocking. I think they understand who he's claiming to be. But look at Jesus' response. I think this is in frustration. He says, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, and he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. Everything that Jesus has said has come from the Father. Everything that he has done has come directly from the one who is Father over all. Jesus told him in John 7, 16, he says, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Everything he says is divine revelation. And he also told them in John 3 this, that they're already judged. He says in John 3, 18, he who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The question for all of us this morning is, do you believe? Now, I don't know if you know this, but David Bowie died this year. Now, some of you may remember David Bowie. 
they made a big deal of his death, and, and he's a very well-known musician and artist. But he wrote a, a song called Seven, and he proclaimed non-belief in God. This is one of the statements in the song. He says, the gods forgot they made me, so I forgot them too. But later on in life, David Bowie started to think upon spiritual things. And he got married and he had a daughter and he started to reconsider faith in God. And at one point in an interview, he claimed, he goes, questioning my spiritual life has always been germane to what I was writing. It's because I'm not quite an atheist and it worries me. There's a little bit that holds on. He says, well, I'm not, well, I'm almost an atheist. Give me a couple more months. And then he went on and he says, they said, what do you see yourself doing in the next few years? And he began to talk about spiritual things again. He says, I never thought that I would be such a family-oriented guy. I didn't think that that was part of my makeup. But somebody said that as you get older, you become a person you've always been and should have been. And I feel like that's happening to me. He says, as a matter of fact, he says, I feel like I'm becoming my father. And then he said, and here's a shock. He says, all cliches are true. The years really do speed by. Life really is as short as they tell you it is. And he says, and there really is a God. And he says, do I buy that one? He says, if all the other cliches are true, and then he says, don't pose that one for, on me. And that was the last thing he said about spiritual things. As far as we know, he never believed. David Bowie died in his sin. My encouragement to you, if you have any doubt at all, Believe. Because three reasons why people die in their sin. Some are deceived, some love this world system, and some refuse to believe the truth. And here's the fourth and final one. People rebel against the truth. People rebel against the truth. For some, it's not even a matter of believing or disbelieving. They understand it's true, but in rebellion, they reject it. Look at verse 27 through 30. So they did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. And Jesus says, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. Now, it begins with, it says, they did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. Now, some of the commentators that I read, they said that this was ignorance, and they went on a long thing about that this is sheer ignorance. But guys, I don't think it's ignorance. I think it's rebellion. Up to this point, they've had three years of full ministry. I've shared with you this morning so many different ways and what Jesus showed them through miracles, by testimonies, everything that pointed that he is the Messiah who was to come. And Jesus, from the very beginning of his ministry, made it crystal clear that he was the one. And he also told people what to look for in him so that they could know he was the one. When he went back to Nazareth, he stood up and he began to read from the prophet Isaiah. And in Luke 14, 18 through 21, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and he sent me to proclaim the release of the captives and the recovery of the sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favor of the year of the Lord. And he began to say, Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, if you remember, a few months later, John the Baptist was in prison. And John was trying to figure out, I think he's the Messiah. So he sends a couple of his disciples to go talk to Jesus. 
And they come to Jesus and they say, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? And this is how Jesus responded. He said, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take an offense to me. Everything Jesus did was everything that he read. And his whole life was his testimony before them. They knew the truth. It's not a matter of unbelief. This is rebellion. They will not believe. And sometimes what happens is, is you hear the truth, but you don't want to accept the truth. You know it's true. But in your flesh and because of your sin, you rebel against the Holy One. This is a mark of Israel. This is who they were. Moses said, for I know your rebellion and your stubbornness. Behold, while I'm alive with you today, you've been rebellious against the Lord and much more when I die. The Jews were always rebellious. I've got to ask you this morning, do not rebel against him. Accept him. Accept the truth. You know it's true. You know he's the one. He's calling out. Yesterday, we had a memorial for Joe McDonald. And I've been saying these things about denying him. She would be the exact opposite of that. She is the picture of acceptance. And Joe's life was such a testimony that yesterday really was a celebration. You know, I was talking to Pastor Brian right before the memorial, and Pastor Brian had done a memorial on Saturday. But that memorial was for somebody that didn't know Christ. And he said it was one of the most depressing memorials. Yesterday was not a depressing memorial. Yesterday, although there was sadness for her to be gone, we're sad, but we know, we know, settled, done. And she knew. I think it was a week and a half before she passed. My wife and I had a chance to talk to her in the hospital. Now, I'm going in as a pastor thinking I'm going to have to somehow minister to Joe. Like try to lift up her spirits because she sees she's in the hospital, you know, and she's been there many times and she's not doing well. But here's the conversation. She ministered to us. She said, so Rob, what do you think heaven's going to be like? And then we had this spirited conversation about what it was going to be like when she entered through the gates of heaven and saw her Lord. And she was so thrilled. It was like a little kid at Christmas. No kidding. And Karen and I walked out of there like, wow, what is that? She accepted him. She knew him. And she was rock solid in the truth of who Christ is. I pray that's you. Let's close in prayer. Jesus, you, you told us that in this life you will have trouble, but take heart. You've overcome the world. And Lord, we see in, in this text a very difficult warning to these religious leaders, Lord. You tell them straight that they will die in their sin. But Lord, now we would ask that you would help us, Lord, to live in your glory. Help us as a church to trust you and to move forward in faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Could I please have you stand? As a way of 
kind of application with a message like this, I want to share four truths on the positive for who we are in Christ. Number one, I, I want you to fight for truth. This is the time of year to not be shy. It's funny, I was looking at an ad and it said, um, the joy of the season, and it was two Starbucks cups. Really? That's the joy of the season? Guys, fight for truth. Honor Christ. You have family and friends. Second, love. Love Christ, love others. Don't love the world. Love Christ, love others. That will make the difference this Christmas season. Third thing, trust. That's faith. Trust in Him and what He's done and His finished work. Not in yourself, but in Him. And last, accept. Accept the gift that's given. That's what Christmas is all about. The opportunity is always there in Christ. Will you believe? I want to pray for us as a church. Father, I thank you for so much grace that you've given this church as we're moving into this whole Christmas season. As tonight, Lord, we celebrate together as your family. And Lord, I, I see your goodness here. I see so many people that I know and love and, and your faithfulness in their life. I pray, Father, that if there's anyone here that for whatever reason they have not committed their life to you, believed, put their faith in Christ, that you would stir their hearts and they would come forward. I pray, Lord, by your spirit, you may minister to us now in this closing song and through fellowship. In Jesus' name.